Let's face it, Brit happens. Success is rarely a straight line. It's a journey with many twists, turns, potholes, and unwelcome detours. The secret, however, lies in how we react. Keep listening to learn how to effectively respond to life's curveballs, improve your resilience, and how winners pivot from setbacks to success. I'm your host, Brittany Sharpton. Let's get started. Extremely talented, track and field Olympian, coach, super humble, extremely hilarious. I really appreciate you joining us on Brit Happens. We're matching. That's like a good sign. We matching. Yeah, I wore my um my polo shirt from the um, London Olympics. You, but you can't say, you cannot say Olympian. You got to say Olympic medals. It's a difference. Thank you for checking me. Because it's a difference. It's, <laughs> the difference is an Olympian competes. A medalist wins a medal and stands up. There big. you go. Olympians just make the team. A medalist get on the podium. Matt, man, you were a 400-meter hurdle medalist in the 2008 Summer Olympics. Yes. Also won, obviously, numerous other accolades. World Championship medalist. And mm-hmm. the gold medal recipient for the indoor world championship in what year? 2010. So in total, I have um, Olympic gold, Olympic bronze, and seven world championship gold medals. That's incredible accomplishment. You just retired two years ago. And growing up, Batman was told that he's too small, too short, too this, too that, only to end up making Miami-Dade and the whole country incredibly proud of you, stunting on everyone that looked doubtful. And I think that he is a classic example of the epitome of this podcast, which is Brit Happens and pivoting from life's unexpected setbacks. How long have we known each other? I know you since I were, I want to say 10 or 11, 10. (laughs) It's a long time ago. Oh my gosh. And now, like you said, you're 37, I'm 35. So I, I know you 20 plus years, like 20, 26, 27 years. Now, how many people, Batman, can you say in your life that you've known that long that you can still stand? Probably five, four or five people. I, I'm like, <laughs> You're one of them. You're one of them for sure. Thank you. So Batman, mm-hmm. let's jump right into it. Okay. How did you get into track and field? I got into track and field when I was about seven, eight years old. Then my parents put me in track and field as a punishment. I was very active. I was a very move around kid. I had plethora of energy. And, you know, my parents were like, you know, maybe if you put him in track, he'll go to bed. But <laughs> only they knew I, I ended up liking it. It was a punishment at first. And the punishment turned out really well. So I started out Parks and Recs. My dad said, I want to see how fast you was. He put me in a mile. Okay. I beat everybody in a mile. And then he put me in a hundred. And I beat everybody in a hundred. And long story short, I lived in a project in the city area of Miami. And it's a guy next door go by the name of Coach Hartwick. He said, can you beat my daughters? You know, I said, I'll smoke your daughters. So anyway, I raced his daughters from pole to pole. This thing we do in Miami. And I blew away. Just like I said I was going to do. So he, he went to my dad. He said, look, it's a guy named Jesse Hope got this track program. You just think about signing your son up for it. So, of course, my dad was like, oh, maybe we'll see. So he said he'll take me out this ride. I kept saying, dad, please let me do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. And he took me out to Moore Park. And the first day of practice, um, I ran. They ran it to death. And I was super duper tired. But I actually liked it. So mm-hmm. I said, Dad, can we go back again? And, of course, we did the whole entire season locally. And then when it came down to the Olympics, I stopped running. That happened for like two or three years until Jesse Holt said, you know, 
he came to my house and he like, you know, you run every year throughout the season when it's time to go to Junior Olympics, you never show up, you know, and now my parents like, look, we can't afford it. You know, we had a financial situation where we just financially wasn't able to do those things. So, you know, the gist of, you know, to answer your question, how I started was racing kids in the streets and the coach said, come run for Jesse Hope. And that's how it all started. Okay. And the rest is history, like they say. Yes. So Batman, can you give us some tips? So what was your mindset when people were critical of your genetics and doubted your ability to compete? Because clearly, if I were you as a man, a young man, this neighbor is saying, can you beat my daughters? And I know this is a sexist comment, but I would think instinctively, of course, I'm going to beat from women. So how do you handle that without, I guess, getting too emotionally upset or invested? I'm a competitor. I thank God for Jesse Hope for installing that type of mindset in me. I met this guy and I felt like he saved my life. You know, he made my dream reality in so many ways. Not just him, your father, Daryl Shopton. I was probably 11 years old and I came to your birthday party. You, He covered the pool and he had this big, nice house. And I can never forget walking walking up to the house and seeing something such so big. And it's like, man, if I work hard, I can possibly, it could be me one day. You know what I'm saying? And I think that was part of my motivation. Another thing was you had a guy named Jesse Hope that put so much passion into me. Like, I feel like, you know, to everybody out there, I wasn't always the best athlete. I was smaller. I had a lot of guts. I had a lot of grit. And I trained my behind off. And I felt like hard work pays off. At one point in my life, I wanted to quit. When I was 13 years old, I wasn't good. I lose to a guy named Lonzo Moore. Like, people I was beating, they were just tearing me up. And it's like, maybe because my passion was also baseball. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, I wanted to quit track. And Jesse Hope just kept saying, you know, don't worry about it. You know, you know, he brought me to his house and I weathered the storm. But Brittany, my freshman year of high school, I didn't make it to state. And then my junior, my sophomore year, I won state. And then from there, I didn't never lose again. And it got to the point where I was getting college recruits and I didn't know track was my destiny. You know, I just thought that, okay, I'm doing track and I love to travel. Like the biggest thing that kept me involved in track and field was the out of town Junior Olympics, going out of town, going to nationals and and I think that helped create the passion for the sport. Mm-hmm. And of course, when I elevated to the high school level, I dominated even more. You know, I trained hard. Like my mindset, I remember your dad used to be out there and he's make us run around the whole mall park and was doing over and over and over and over and over. And he was like, if you run this hard, you're going to be great. <laughs> In our mind, we like, oh, my God, we're going to be great. We just keep running hard and hard and hard and hard. So I created a work ethic that was unbreakable. And I think that work ethic elevated me to a level that I never thought I could possibly go. And it went from me kicking behind on the track to getting all these college recruits coming to my house. Like, oh, my God, we want Batman. I was a household name. And I went to the World Juniors and I took third to World Juniors. And it's like, man, this might be my destiny. You know, it might be something. And, you know, one of the things I have to say, Brittany, is I had to overcome so many obstacles in my life. You know, been in the projects. Um, God bless the day I lost my father. He's a snort coke. And I just came from a drug family, you know. And one of the things I want to do different is go to school. I'm the first in my family to get my college degree. So I ended up going to the University of South Carolina. Um, things didn't work out there with me in South Carolina. I ended up transferring to St. All. But I think at the, the the grand scheme of things, from the beginning of my career, Brittany, I dominated college. I dominated high school. But it was always that small 
what if. In all, I had 30 colleges recruit me, wow. but only three actually gave me a full scholarship. Okay. Three out of 30 because they said I was too short. They said my stride pattern wouldn't work. They said I wasn't fast enough to be a sprinter. They said I wasn't strong enough to be a quarter miler. And they said I wasn't tall enough to be a hurdler. So I had all these exes. And the analytics said, this guy, you know, can't do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, that's the motivation I got from It's like, oh, I'm going to prove these people wrong. I'm going to show them that I'm different than what they say I am. They made a mistake. And I went to college mm-hmm. and I dominated. And after my freshman year, Brittany, I wanted to go pro. Because I knew my financial situation at home mm-hmm. and I wanted to be the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking millions of dollars, right? I'm thinking, <laughs> oh my God, I'm about to go pro. I'm about to get millions of dollars. My first contract was $40,000. $40,000. 40, okay. And it's the first time I'm talking about this. You know, I'm talking about it with my girl, Brittany. $40,000, right? <laughs> so they agreed to pay for my school. Mm-hmm. I got all my education paid for, and they agreed to give me $10,000 shopping spree per year and $40,000. And I'm looking at this contract like, well, my mom make $30,000, so maybe I'm doing better than my mom. I sold myself short. <laughs> I did. And the only reason that I took this contract is because I needed the money. Now, I, I come out of school a year later, I make $500,000 plus. I was young. I was 19. I was ready to go pro. Now, the reason why they paid me so less, Brittany, is because they told me that in the history of the sport, 47.8 is the fastest anyone has ever run of my size. Okay. 15 strides, going around the track, you know, 47.8. And at the time, I was running 47.3. So I have just a half a second uh-huh. of improvement. And they don't see me, they don't see themselves investing in me being long term. See, Jordan had the upside because he was big and he was tall and he was powerful and he was mm-hmm. dunk on people. So they felt like he got the upside. But you look at a small point guard or a small shooting guard, like he's not, he would never be Jordan. But in the same gist of me, they look at a guy named Edwin Moses. He's the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. He's 6'4 on 5'7. <laughs> so, so when I started my career, they said, you know, I'm too short. And I took it with a grain of salt and I worked my behind off. Thousand abs a day, 70 miles a week on top of my track workouts, eating healthy. You know, just, you know, having that mindset that I'm going to prove y'all wrong because Coach Hope implanted this thing in my brain that every time I compete, it's the Batman show. So that's the confidence I had and it stayed with me my whole career. But Brittany, my first year out, world champion, 47-3. With $40,000. My contract went up after that. Okay. (laughs) After my first year, one thing I can say is earned, not given. After my first year, I never not seen six figures throughout the rest of my career. To answer your question, I seem like my whole life had to prove and prove and we can get more into it about, you know, my tribulations and my trials. But mm-hmm. I had to prove my whole career. I had to prove my whole life that I was different than what everybody presumed I was. And my size was always that doubt. You know, it's an investment. Nike is an investment company. You know, they're the biggest marketing company in the world. And Nike like, OK, I want this kid. But what I can say about Nike, once I proved to them that I was worthy. Mm-hmm. Nike went above and beyond. They branded Batman like I had my own shoe line. I like they Nike took Batman and ran with, you know, a kid from Liberty City. So, you know, to answer your question, I took everything personal. And mm-hmm. I think me taking everything personal helped my career to be what it was because I always had a chip on my shoulder. Which is I know some people are critical of that being motivation, but I'm similar to you, Batman. 
Mm-hmm. If someone doubts me, that's the spark that I need to basically prove you wrong. Make you. I'm gonna show you. Right, I'm gonna show you why you're wrong. Times ten. So whatever it takes, that's what it was. Now, Batman, I know you've been asked this a million times, but I want to share with people. How did you get the name, the nickname, Batman? <laughs> I was about twelve years old, and I had. They said I had big ears, and I fly when I run. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at first, I hated the nickname. Shateria Gibson, Ebony's sister, gave me the nickname, and I hated it. It was terrible. And we was a team that chant. We was a chanting team. And it was like, Batman. But people knew the name Batman. Uh-huh. And it stood out. I got a nickname because she called it. And then, you know, it was a positive side because people started knowing me for something positive. They're like, oh, that's Batman right there. Right. And two two household names was Batman and Nitro. Like oh, <laughs> we right. were the household names. So Ebony's sister helped to create your brand that stuck with you to this day. Yes. Now Batman, because I was actually going through my phone. Uh, we don't have time today. I was going to show it to you. I found some pictures when you came to the Penn Relays. I went to Penn in Philly, and we went out to dinner. Batman. At that time, you still had your two goals. Yes. And why did you decide to remove? I mean, I, I have my own thoughts. That's a good question. That's a good question. Why did you decide to move, remove your gold teeth, which to me was signature of Batman? That's a great question, Brittany. Um, I removed them for a number of reasons. Um, the first reason was I just made the Olympic team in 2008. Mm-hmm. And I had so many sponsors wanting to endorse me. And I felt like with me changing my image, uh, I would be more marketable. So, you know, two things, two folks. It's a thing where, okay, don't forget where you come from. But then it's a thing where now you're successful and you have to adapt to your situation. You got to acclimate, you know. So for me, I felt like the right move was to take my goals out because appearance is everything. You know, when you first meet someone, I was on the Oprah show and she seen all my tattoos and she said, man, if I didn't talk to you and eat dinner and be around you, I would think you're a bad person because image, you know, you, you meet someone and you see them and you never get a second chance with the first impression. You know, that's one of my biggest sayings. So I removed the goals because I was on commercials and, you know, my goals is like a Miami culture. Gold teeth, dreadlocks, you know, that's our culture. Right. So sometimes you have to go outside the box, elevate your game to another level. So I took the goals out just to elevate my game. Okay. And now here we have Batman in 2020 looking ultra preppy. Goals are no goals. It's still... The look is great and tattoos we can't see them. I guess you got them lasered off or you still got your tattoos? I got all of them. <laughs> I still got all of them. I can't take away all of them. Now tattoos are like trendy. But okay. What was your most memorable either contract, race, or other project that you've worked on? That's a good question. You know, I think we can sit down and we can have a whole documentary. <laughs> because I have so many great moments in my career. I have so many great moments in my life. I have so many great moments that I can never forget. Which one should I pick? You know, of course, one of my biggest moments is, you know, of course, making an Olympic team. You know, 2004, I took fourth. I was 19, fresh out of high school in 2004. And I was winning the whole race and crashed the last hurdle. Took fourth at the Olympic trials in 04. And it's very devastating. But I didn't really care. I'm like, I just got me a new contract. I'm making 40 grand. I would have bought to do something <laughs> maxima. Like, I'm, I can't wait to go to school and go party. I'm still a college kid. I'll, I'll be a sophomore. <laughs> so I didn't really care. It didn't sink in. I'll, I'm back next year. Mm-hmm. And next year was 2005, 20 years old, world champion. 
for y'all don't know about world championship, you know, the winner get 120K and you get so many accolades, it's specified you're the best in the world. Mm -hmm. So for me, I worked hard for this moment. It's like, I proved everybody wrong. And then I go to Europe and everybody like Batman, they got t-shirts and they got banners in the stands. And I'm like, wow, like people actually admires me, right? But I think (laughs) the greatest moment is 2015. So 2012, I got my hurdle crash at Olympic trials. Very controversial. I had the fast time in the world that year. I dominated the whole 2012. The Olympic trial finals, my hurdle get crashed. After my hurdle get crashed, I crashed it behind him. And it went all downhill, and I didn't make the team. I protest. I filed the appeal. I did everything I was supposed to do as an athlete for my rights. They fucking denied me. They denied because the guy who crashed my hurdle was defending Olympic champion. Mm. He got the gold when I got the bronze. They wanted to cue him. It was very controversial. And from there, my career went rock bottom. And for two years, so the rest of 2012, I was done. I was Mentally, I was done. 13, disaster. Had a decent year, 2014, another disaster. So it was people saying Batman career is over. Batman had a good run. It's over for Batman. You know, I couldn't get a lane no more in Europe. People disrespecting me, trying to give me lane one and two, which is an insult when you talk about somebody high caliber, right? Of course, three, four, five, six, the premier lanes. And it's normally the top athletes in the world. Mm-hmm. But Brittany, to answer your question, the most memorable moment is 2015 came and my dad told me, son, you know, just go out there and have fun. You, you're doing, you're thinking too much. You're running with too much anger. You're not having fun. For me, it became personal. And I started back having fun, Brittany, in 2015, my first race of the year to gave me name two. I was upset. It's okay. I went out my first race of the year, took lane two, ran the world leading time and kicked it behind. Can you explain to people who are not familiar with track and field? There's typically eight lanes. Can eight lanes. Explain to them why lane one and two, which is towards the closer to the field is insulting for people. who Okay. So it's eight lanes and I'm going to explain how it works. It's eight lanes, of course. And everybody in the world won't eat eight lanes. One prize money, want to get 25,000 and some meets. This this particular meet was 25,000. It's eight lanes. The best in the world come. Nobody who's not high caliber would never get none of these lanes. Lane one and two is Typically, the worst lane because it's so tight. You can't open up like you want to because it's so tight and inside your well, heart. I fail to mention because he's such a pro at this and he has his own track. To, people are staggered. So they staggered. The yes. That, see, this is common sense to you. But for someone who is, you know, has never run. A OK. Day. Yeah. So I'll break it down. So it's staggered. So mm-hmm. it's 400 meters, of course. And it's staggered from one through lane eight. Yeah. Lane one is the worst lane because it's tight. It's tight. You can't open like you want to. Lane eight is the worst lane because you can't see no one. You just run it. You freelancing like you just run it for your life. Mm-hmm. And typically on a pro level, it's easier to run off someone. You're absorbing more energy right. and it's easy to run behind somebody versus running blind. So lane two is the second part of the third worst lane. So one, eight and then two, because of course, it's still inside and it's tight. I will prefer to because I'm a short guy anyway, so it won't really affect me. It affect the taller guys. Okay. But when you're running top end speed and you're running the inside lane, it's only so much your stride length can, you know, open up. Mm-hmm. But the further you go out in the lanes and prefer the, the best lane is the middle because you're right in the middle of everybody. You got somebody behind, you got somebody in front, you can feel everyone. Right. But they gave me lane two and I was pissed. And I'm, I was pissed for a couple of reasons. 
for me, I create a legacy, right? And when you create a legacy, like, you know, you're Serena Williams of the world and I paved the way. So it's like, you know, people of my caliber that's still relevant and that's still competing, you got to show respect to. You know, I would bet if they gave me lane seven. At least I can see somebody and, I, and I'm on the outside lane. But Brittany, I, I crossed the line and I won. And at this point, I didn't win a race since 2012. So that was three, three years. Three years getting my ass kicked. <laughs> and for me, I'm a sore loser. Like, I've always been a sore loser. When I was a kid, I cried at every race I lost. I cried my eyes out. I'm a sore loser. I won this race, Brittany. And when I won this race, it changed the whole dynamics of who I were. Like, I hit rock bottom and I thought I was going to retire and I didn't have a contract. And now I'm kicking behind and I get a contract again. From there, I went to USA Nationals and I won four national titles and Edwin Moses won five. In the history of the sport, five is the most anybody has ever won in the 400 meter hurdles. This particular year, I won the 400 hurdles at the U.S. Championship and I was tied for the all-time most 400 hurdle champion wins. Wow. And for me, it was like, wow, like I achieved so much without even knowing it because I did it on the strength of me just loving to do it. And me having a passion, you know, making my dream reality. And I want to get a house like Coach Sharpton. And, you know, then I want a nice car. And I want a new BMW every year. <laughs> and I think that motivation helped me train harder. And when I train harder, I ran better and I ran faster. And the best memory I got is crossing the line and calling my dad and saying, Daddy, I did. I made the team. I'm back on top. And, of course, my father came with me to the world championship. And that was the last time he seen me race. But the memory, I, the memory of me winning and talking to him on FaceTime and him being there with me at, at the World Championship in Beijing, priceless. Because when I walked down the track, I pulled my hamstring. I didn't do well. Mm-hmm. I didn't do well at all because I pulled my hamstring prior to the track meet. But me being a soldier, me being Batman, I'm like, I'm going to run anyway, and I'm, they're going to carry me out on the stretch. I didn't come this far to not run. Mm-hmm. I'm in Beijing, China. This is before coronavirus, 2015. <laughs> <laughs> of course, my dad was sitting in the first row. And when he sat in the first row, you know, I gave him the, the chest pump. Like, yeah. I got you. Knowing I, mentally, I just didn't have it. I tried. But Brittany, every time I tried to speed up, speed up, it just wouldn't work. But, you know, you're saying, why is a good moment? It's a good moment because when my dad left me, he died. And that was the last time I seen my dad. So, and the last time he seen me run and... It's always a memory going to stick me for the rest of my life because win, lose, or draw, he was proud of me no matter what. And he watched me come from ground zero that season. And I went from not being relevant to being number one in the world to watch to him watch my last race. And I was never the same after that. So, you know, it's a lot we could talk, like I said, it's a lot we could talk about. Right. I'm trying to get emotional here, but, you know, that's a memory I never forget walking down that track and he's sitting in the front row. And that was actually the last time I seen my dad in his right state. That's a memory I'll never forget. Because I came off the track and say, son, I love you no matter what. Went to the Great Wall of China. We had a couple beers and everything was history. So to say I love you no matter what and this don't define Batman. Right. That's a moment I will never forget. Thank you guys so much for checking out today's episode of Brit Happens. If you like what you heard... Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, or Google. You can also find me online at www.brithappens.com and on social media, Instagram or Facebook at Brittany Sharpton. See you next time.